But Lord, this morning, let's stand if you're not already standing as we go to the Word of God this morning in the book of Matthew. We're going to go to the sixth chapter. And uh, we are continuing on with the series we began three weeks ago on prayer. Today we're just entitling this Unanswered Prayer. And uh, you ever feel like your prayers go unanswered? Pastor Martin even referenced this morning. I don't even know if he was, knew I, this was my title today. And do uh, you ever feel like that, that you just prayers go unanswered? Or question is, does God always answer prayer? Does he sometimes ignore certain prayers? Does he not hear certain prayers? I want to tell you something. The new covenant, the new testament, the new covenant that Jesus brought, and accomplished by his death, it radically changed everything. Can you say amen? amen? Including the way that we pray. Since prayer is essentially communicating with God, and it's more than asking God for things, it's just relating to God, communicating with God, spending time with God in that regard, that's all under the heading or auspice of prayer. And so the new covenant brought a new way that we relate to God. No longer did we relate to God when Jesus came and died on the cross through the law. In other words, our blessings were not contingent upon our obedience. But they changed over to our blessings now were automatically because of Christ's obedience. And so the whole way we relate to God is different now in how God relates to us. He didn't relate to us based on our performance. He relates to us based on his son. Amen? And so you can see if all that is true, then, then prayer is different in the new covenant than it was in the old covenant. And so I want to I ask you this, and I realize you're standing. I'm going to read the scripture in just a moment, but I want you to listen to this. I want you to think about this. If you knew this, that we've been preaching to you for, for years here at Grace Point, if you knew that God relates to you as your father, not as your judge. Now, if you're not born again, he's your judge. But if you've been born again of the Spirit, if you've been saved, then he is not your judge, he's your father. Jesus has already bore your judgment, your punishment. Amen? Amen. And so God does not want a master-slave relationship with you. The reason some people's prayers go unanswered is because they want to relate to God as a master. Well, isn't he our master? Well, yes, in the sense that he's, he's God and he's over everything, but God does not want. Jesus, when he died, he said, no longer do I call you servants, slaves, but I call you friends. And so Jesus is our elder what? Our brother. Well, as soon as he came out of the tomb, he said, go tell me, he told Mary Magdalene, go tell my brethren that I'll meet them in Galilee. So the relationship has totally radically changed when Jesus died and was resurrected. So God's not uh, your judge as much as he is your father. Uh, he's a good father, too, by the way. God is not nor ever will be angry with you. Not even on your worst day. You can't do anything to make God angry. God's not an angry God. He was in the old covenant, but his anger has been appeased now through Jesus. And he actually makes a promise in the Bible that he will never again be angry again. You know, most Christians don't know that. They think God gets angry and with them, and he's angry at America, and he's angry with this and angry with that. They don't know him, and they haven't read his word. Sure is quiet in our church this morning. What if you knew that, though? What if you knew that he was never anger, 
angry with you, how would your prayers to him be different? What if you knew that all of your sins have been forgiven, even the ones you hadn't committed yet? What if you knew that you're righteous now and forever? And that you're, you're never unrighteous or not righteous? How would that affect how you prayed? What, what if you knew that, that God is always pleased with you? And that he's never not pleased with you? What if you knew that you're never out of fellowship with God? What if you knew that God is not sitting in a swivel chair? You know what I mean by that? That, oh, you've prayed, you've read your Bible? Well, my face is towards you. Oh, you hadn't prayed, you hadn't done? My back is towards you. Oh, you picked up the Bible again. Okay, here, I'm looking at you again. What if you knew God's favor was by birth, not by your performance? How would that affect how you prayed and talked to him and related to him? What if you knew that God's never disappointed with you? See how quiet it is? What if you knew that? What if you believed it? That God is never, you saying, Brother Dale, God's never disappointed with me. Even when I do sin, he's not disappointed with you. Do you understand what disappointment means? It means that you had expectations about someone and they didn't fulfill those. And your expectations were not met and dashed, therefore you were left disappointed. To say that God's ever disappointed with you is to attack his omniscience. Is to say that God don't know everything. How can a God that knows what you're going to do before you ever do it ever be disappointed in you? Because he already knew what you was going to do before the foundation of the world. Come on. How can that God ever be disappointed? Because he doesn't have any false views of you. He's already seen everything that you're going to do. And he already decided to forgive you of all of them. What if you knew that you were never out of fellowship with him? And what if you knew that you were accepted in his beloved son? And listen to this. And what if you knew that he has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus? So you don't have to ask him to bless you that you're already blessed. What if you knew that he has already provided every need and every contingency and every possibility of every need that you would ever have? He's already supplied that need through Christ Jesus. How would all of that revelation of God's amazing grace affect your prayer life? I can tell you what it do with most of your prayer lives. It would shorten it up considerably. Because you wouldn't spend any time begging God to bless you. You wouldn't spend any time asking God to love you and to like you. You wouldn't spend any time groveling over your sin and begging God not to be mad with you and disappointed with you and all that kind of mess. You'd spend much more time thanking him. Your prayers would change from requesting and petitioning to thanksgiving. Oh, it's going to be good in here today. I better read the scripture and make it a legal meeting. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. Jesus is talking. He has been asked a question about prayer. He's been requested by his disciples to teach them to pray as John taught his disciples. And this is his answer to that. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Now, what I've been doing the past three, uh, two Sundays is what maybe people you didn't even realize because I didn't tell you I was doing it. But I was doing exactly what Jesus has been doing when he was asked about prayer. The first thing that he did is taught him what not to pray and how not to pray. And he said, when you pray, don't be like a hypocrite because hypocrites love to pray. Hypocrites love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Why? So that they can be seen by men. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. What was their reward? Pat on the back. Boy, aren't they spiritual? Wasn't that a great prayer? That was their reward. Okay? But you, not, not, not hypocrites now, but you, his children, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly, publicly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions like the heathen do. Do you know heathens pray? They chant. They say a prayer instead of pray a prayer. For they think, wrongly, but they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Most Christians think more prayer equals more results. Jesus just blew that up right there. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Don't do like that. Jesus is telling them what not to do in prayer. So, Father, today we come in that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And we pray as we teach on prayer. And we thank you that you are our Father. You know our needs before we ask them. We thank you, Lord God, for your provision, for your blessing, for all that you have provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for that today. We pray that we would see you as you truly are, not as religion has painted you to be. And we pray in the name of Jesus that revelation and illumination would come to every person today that hears this word. May their hearts be, Lord God, warmed by the grace of God. Let them see that you are a father that does not have to be begged, not have to be badgered, pleaded with. But Lord, we pray that we would come boldly to that throne of grace, make our petition known that we may find help in time of our need. Thank you that you have provided for every possible need that we would ever had before we ever got here. We give you praise for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated in his presence. Most people recognize the need for prayer. They think it doesn't matter how you pray, though, just as long as you pray. That's not true. There is a right and a wrong way of praying. Now, some of you last Sunday took a couple of statements that I made in the message and you posted them on Facebook, and you got some venom response, I saw. And you got some uh, sarcastic response based on some comments that I made. And because and, uh, some of you posted something about, you know, learning the right way to pray. And so some of your friends that weren't here that goes to the <clears throat> other place, they've been taught that they have to badger, bag, uh, badger plead with, pursue God, and just do all that that I've talked about the past two services. If you've missed that, go on our podcast, our website, and uh, listen to those, please, sincerely, because I can't go back over that. But that's not who God is. But I was amazed, too. People get so mad about this stuff. Man, they get upset. I didn't know there was a wrong way to pray. Well, that's the problem. You're going to the wrong church because you don't know stuff. There is a right way to pray that brings results, and there is a wrong, wrong way to pray that produces nothing may soothe a little guilt in your conscience or something like that, but it doesn't produce anything in the results of your praying. Let me tell you something. America is one of the least praying nations in the world. You know what nations pray more than anybody else? Anybody got a guess? The Muslim nations. If you don't pray in a Muslim nation, they kill you. They chop your head off. You're going to pray. I remember when I went to 
Bulgaria, uh, which it borders Turkey, which is a totally Muslim nation. But uh, even flying over to uh, Bulgaria to, on a missions trip in the airport, I would see Muslims when it came to the hour of prayer. They would throw that rug down and turn towards Mecca and pray right there in the airport in front of God and everybody. But their prayer meant nothing. Their prayer had no power. Their prayer produced no rose. Do you know that, that there was a survey or, or a, a study done or whatever that said over 80% of all, every, every human, every person in a Muslim nation prays every day three times a day? Less than 50% of Americans asked that they, they said they pray. Some say it was 51% say they pray every day in America. And most of those prayers are not really prayers of faith. And they're like prayers, help me, oh God, don't let me hit that car. Or, you know, God help me pay my light bill or what, you know. It's those kind of, you know, spare tire prayers. You know, you don't need it unless you need it kind of a deal. But see, listen, prayer for prayer's sake has no virtue in it, has no power in it. Because a lot of people pray, Muslims pray, Hindus pray, Buddhists pray. But they're not praying in the name of Jesus. And if you're not praying in the name of Jesus, then the prayer really has no power. In other words, there's no, there's no power in prayer. But listen, there is power in a relationship with God. And prayer is an aspect of that relationship with God. Those statements I've dealt with the past two Sundays, I can't spend time. But I was raised up on that. Listen, and you're talking to a guy. And listen, every one of these things that I've hit, I've done. I'm just trying to save you from wasting a lot of time like I've done. Now, you, you're talking to a guy or listening to a guy that believes in prayer. And as a pastor, I have a track record that I have really believed more than maybe some in prayer. Uh, where we used to live for, for almost 20 years, I built a prayer cabin. Several of these pastors in here stayed in there. And, and the primary purpose of that was for to have a place to pray. And I'm telling you, you could ask my wife, I used it. I mean, hours and hours and hours of prayer was spent. There was a season I went through, and, and I told the church I'm not going to take any appointments, the church I used to pastor, I'm not going to take any appointments, you know, until after 12 noon. I'm going to spend every day, five days a week, you know, from, from daylight until noon in prayer. You know, when I said that, the church applauded because they like a working preacher. Like, go find out what God's saying and come back and tell us. But, you know, I couldn't sustain that. How many times have you made promises of what you were going to do in regard to prayer? Like, I'm going to get up every morning at 6 o'clock and pray. How long did that last? A week? Maybe a month? Even six months? But you're not doing it today, are you? But you promised God you was going to do it. Why? Because God's not helping you do that. God don't want you to set your clock every morning and get up and pray just because you're going to, I'm going to pray an hour a day. I remember this brother... You know, I'm not knocking him, Larry Lee. Anybody remember him in the 80s? Worldwide prayer movement. You know, you know, will thou not watch but one hour. And so everybody going to pray. And I jump right on board with that. I'm going to pray an hour every day. Glory to God, I'm pray an hour every day. And you get in there and you go in there some days and you start praying. And, you know, you feel like you've prayed an hour and a half. And you look and you've been in there 15 minutes. <laughs> you done prayed everything you know twice. <laughs> Am I talking to anybody? Why is that? Because... My wife does not want me setting the clock and saying every morning at 7 o'clock I'm going to kiss you in the mouth. And I'm going to do that and get that over with and then I can go on with the rest of my day. You understand? That's not a real relationship. That's not a real relationship. God does not want perfunction and form and ritual. 
People's already got mad with me here at Grace Point. So a couple of folks, because I said that prayer prayed at 3 p.m. and prayer prayed at 3 a.m. accomplished the same thing. God's not impressed because you're up at 3 a.m. praying. You're impressed, but God's not. God doesn't sleep anyway. Like I prayed all night last night. Well, hallelujah. I prayed all day. Hallelujah. I mean, what's, it, it, it accomplishes nothing. See, that's religious. It's religious. If you have to change your, in other words, if you talk to God different than you're talk to me up here after service, then you're religious. I'm, don't get mad at me. I'm just trying to set you free. I love the King James Bible. I know it better than any translation. But, you know, I mean, because if it was good enough for Jesus, hey, it's good enough for me. Hallelujah. What's scary is some people didn't even get that. <clears throat> but uh, if you have to say thou and thine and delist and pastorist and I comest to thouest, and I mean, if you called up to here to me and start talking to me like that, I'm going to think you're a nutcase. <laughs> pastorist, I would like to ask it of thee. <laughs> I mean, like, get delivered. Some of you think it sounds more holy if you say it in King James language. Thy heavenly father, thy. You don't talk thou. You don't talk like that. You're not King James. You don't live in the 16th, 17th century. If you read King James, it said God is a terrible God. That doesn't translate into our English. But in King James, terrible means awesome. But if you don't know that, you can read and say, well, right here in the Bible it says he's terrible. Don't be religious in your praying. Don't think because you pray long prayers. I mean, I, I, I used to equate the amount of prayer. You know, little prayer, little results. I could tell you a famous man that I was forced to read his books. It's, he's a famous person about prayer. He talked about people praying and wearing out holes on the side of the bed where their knees wore out holes where they prayed so long. Well, when you read that, it makes you feel like a piece of dirt. Because you realize you ain't even close to that. So you need to try to ramp up and start, I'm going to pray more. And I'll tell you, in 2017, I'm going to pray more than I ever have. And you just go to flesh working at it, and it accomplishes nothing. Because prayer in itself has no power. What God's wanting is not prayer, but relationship. And prayer is a part of that. Are, are you with me? Now, Jesus, look what he said. He said, when you pray, don't pray like a hypocrite. Don't, don't be hypocritical in your, your prayer life. Don't think that you're heard if you talk a long time. Uh, mo most people think that the more I pray, you know, then the more likely God's going to answer. I've already dealt with this the past two Sundays. I'll just say it in, in passing. But some of you think, well, you know, you, and I've dealt with those two parables where we get that false teaching that you got to just beg God, plead with God, bombard heaven. You know, all this stuff like storm the gates of heaven. We need to bombard heaven. Let's give God no rest. You know, uh, we, God, I'm not going to let go of you till you bless me. God's already blessed you. That's old covenant stuff. That's Jacob wrestling with God. You don't have to hang on to God until he blesses you because God's the one has got a hold of you and he's not going to turn you loose. It's not, you're not in God by your strength. You're in God by his strength. You just don't realize how great the new covenant really is. So it's, you're, not, you're not being held by your, your prayer life. Or your, you know, and I'm not saying that prayer is not important. I'm telling you another thing I did as a pastor. We joined Peter Wagner's World Prayer Center. 
We spent thousands of dollars at the church I pastored. We had a dedicated 24-hour-a-day prayer room with a dedicated phone number that was, you know, dedicated. You know, unless they cut it off, they still got it. This last digits was 7777, and you called that number for prayer. We would have times when my television program was being broadcast. I had people sitting on the phone taking prayer requests. We had live people receiving prayer requests. People calling in with knees, and we would pray with them and pray for them. We had the church where people could come and go to the upstairs. Pastor Keith sitting there knows all this. People could come and go and pray and come in and pray as long as they wanted to. I mean, we've invested money in prayer. You're talking to a person that believes in prayer. But I would be honest with you today and say a lot of that was trying to earn brownie points from God. I didn't realize it. But I thought God would be impressed with all that if we did all that. You know, most Christians think that you've got to just bombard God and plead with God. And if you've got a real crisis, then, you know, if God's not answering your prayer, then call the prayer chain and get a bunch of people praying. You know, and the more people you get praying, the more that God will likely answer. Maybe if we can get a 1,000 people to pray, then maybe God will, you know, wake up and answer your prayers. See, some of you believe more in Santa Claus than you do in Jesus. Theology-wise. Like, you, you, like, like, if you do good, then you're on the good list and you're going to get what you ask for. But if you ain't prayed enough and read enough and done enough and give enough, then you're on the naughty list and your prayers ain't going to get answered. And that God's like Santa Claus got all these prayer requests, all these, all these things people want stacked up on his desk. And somehow yours is way down in the pile. But if you get a million people praying for you, then that'll make God pull yours out the way bottom pile and pull it on the top pile and give it priority. Maybe then he'll answer. You don't believe in prayer change? Not the way most people use them, no. There's nothing wrong with you getting people to join you in prayer. But if you think that God is, is moved by the number of people that are praying, you don't know him. That's a bad daddy. That's a bad daddy. You know how people look at God like he's some kind of senator or congressman or a judge, that if we get a petition with enough names, then maybe he'll answer our prayer. Is that how you see God? <laughs> you don't know him. That's not a good father. That's a terrible judge. It's not moved by your needs and cares and concerns. And just, you know, you got to get a bunch of people to pray for God to pay attention to you. That's ridiculous. The church has grown up with this mess. Oh, hallelujah. I can't wait to see Facebook today. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that prayer is simply a means by which we inform God of our crisis. I just read for you, Jesus said, I already know what you need before you ask it. Well, he still wants us to ask Where'd you get that from? He said, all he said was, I know your need before you'll ever ask it. Did Adam and Eve have to plant stuff to get something to eat in the Garden of Eden? Or before they got there, was there food waiting on them? Everything they needed was already there before they arrived. That shows you how God is. God has already provided everything you'd ever need. Now, if prayer is done wrong, it can actually hurt your relationship with God. Because what you come away with is thinking that God don't care. And that's where you come up with all this crazy mess in church. Now, you're going to really get mad at me right here, but hey. I told you prayers, to give prayers power, they must be prayed in what name? What about the Lord's Prayer? It's called the Lord's Prayer, not by the Bible, but we call it that, so I'll use that same terminology. Right after I read here in Matthew 6, Jesus goes on and says, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and you know it goes on on the Lord's Prayer. That is an old covenant prayer. That's not a prayer 
for you to recite today. That prayer has no power for you because it's not in the name of Jesus. Jesus' name is nowhere in the Lord's Prayer. This is going to give me some email, Tim. I'm not saying that prayer is not beneficial, but listen to me now. When did the new covenant start? It's not Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The new covenant, the new testament, the new will enforced, it doesn't start until the blood has been shed. You can't draw the benefits of the will until your family member's dead. You can't inherit what they've left you as an inheritance until they're dead. Try it. They're not going to like it, and the lawyers aren't going to allow it. You're going to say, I'm sorry. I know you want this, but you've got to wait till they're dead first to get it. Even though your name's in the will and this is what they say you're going to get, you don't get to draw from that or receive it until they're dead. Jesus, you don't get the benefits of what Jesus said until you, he was dead, once he shed his blood. And so the, the New Testament, the prayer of Jesus, and I'll deal with that maybe in another sermon, it is a great prayer as a model prayer. It tells you how to approach God as a father instead of a judge, our father. If it's our father, not my father, then that makes you my brother and sister. Because it's our father. He's a father. Holy is your name. Come in with praise. Come into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Come in thanking God. Don't just come out with your list right off the bat. But just begin to praise him and thank him. And it's a great model prayer. But there's some of the things in the Lord's prayer that are not applicable to after the resurrection. In other words, forgive us of our sins. As we forgive those sins. God's already forgiven of your sins once Jesus' blood was shed. John 16 and 16, Jesus is talking about his death. And he says, in a little while you will not see me. And again, in a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Down in verse 24 of John 16, he says, until now, up to this point, he says, you have asked nothing in my name. He's talking about their prayer life. Ask, and you will what? That what? Your joy may be full. That's the heart of God. He wants you to, he wants you to be full of joy. He said, ask it, you, and you'll receive. What's the condition for receiving? What is the condition here for receiving? Asking. It's not hard, y'all. There's nothing, no other condition but ask and you what don't notice it don't say beg and you will receive brother dale i just want you to pray for my husband that the lord will save him because i know god will hear your prayer would you agree with me brother dale to pray for my lost husband no my sister no i will not because you're really messed up in your theology number one you think god hears my prayer over your prayer what do you think i beg better than you you think i'm a better beggar than you are do you think that God can just flick his finger and save your lost husband? Do you think your husband's salvation is we're waiting on God to do something? Is that what you think? You think that you care more about your husband's lost condition than God does. You think you love him more than God loves him. That's what you're saying. Well, hallelujah. Is that what you're saying? Do you think God, you know, oh God, oh God, do something to save my husband. God's already done all he's going to do to save your husband. This is where, come on now. Don't judge me on one sermon now. I'm, I'm going to come back and unpack some of this as we go along. But listen, to pray like that, oh God, you do something to save my husband or to my wife or my lost children. 
is a wrong prayer. Because God has already done all that is necessary for your husband, child, friend, family member to be saved. We're not waiting on God. We're waiting on them to believe. The problem is not on God's end. Don't waste time begging God to do something to save them. God's done done all he going to do to save them. He has provided forgiveness of their sin by the shed blood of Jesus. Salvation is waiting on them. One reason, believe. Well, how am I supposed to pray for them? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Welcome to church. Don't pray and ask God to do something because that is a meaningless, futile prayer. Because we're not, the problem is not God. The problem is your husband. I guarantee you God has touched his heart a thousand times to be born again, and he's rejected him a thousand and one times. So how should we pray then? Pray like this. Lord, thank you that you shed your blood on the cross that my husband could be saved, that you've already provided salvation, and your grace has appeared to all men, even to him. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for my husband that, that the blindness upon his mind would be gone, that his heart would be open to receive the goodness and the grace of our Father, that he would come to the revelation of your love for him, that his eyes would be open, Lord, to your goodness and to your love. And that's how you pray for a lost person. Not, oh, God, do something to save my husband. The reason I use that example, it seems like husbands care more, or wives care more about the husband than sometimes the husband care about the wives, as far as salvation goes, anyway. It seems like most of my requests are from women saying, pray for my lost husband. Okay? But do you see what I'm trying to say to you? It's just totally different in how you approach God. One, listen, God's not moved by anything but faith. And it's faith in his goodness. And so, you know, Jesus said, you've not been praying in my name, but you're going to start praying in verse 26 of John 16. In that day, you'll ask in my name, and, I'll, and I do not say that you shall. Uh, let me read again. In that day, you will ask in my name. Now, what did Jesus say? We're going to pray how? In his name. Not with his name. We're going to pray in his name. And I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you. In other words, Jesus said, I ain't got to get God to like you anymore. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Jesus said, up to now you haven't been praying in my name, but after I go on the cross and die, you're going to start praying in my name. And the Father's going to answer your prayers because he loves you. Because you've believed in me. That's it, guys. Now let me just say this. Some of you think, that you can ask anything. You read some scriptures that says, ask anything in my name and I'll do it. And so, Lord, I just pray for, you know, so let's just try the experiment and see if this will work. I mean, it's in the Bible, right? It says I can ask anything in his name and he'll do it. Is that what it says? I need to ask somebody, is that what it says, y'all? Is that what it says? See, to go quicker and be better if you'll participate. Is that what the Bible says, those that read the Bible? Okay, so I'm going to put it to the test. <clears throat> Father, I pray when I leave this service, there'll be a Rolls Royce sitting out there in the place of my uh, F-150 truck. I'd like for it to be black in color, tan leather on the inside. Rolls Royce never had one, but I want one. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Now, when I leave service today, if there's a black Rolls Royce with tan leather 
my whole theology is going to change, and I'm going to come back with a new sermon Sunday. Now, some of you don't like that. You think I'm playing around with. I'm not playing around. I'm just trying to show you. Don't, man, that's what you, it messes up your relationship with God. I thought we'd ask anything in his name. See, you see the name of Jesus like something that you just throw on at the end, just tag it with that. It's no better than a rabbit's foot for you. See, you're not praying in the name. You're praying with the name. Big, big, big difference. See, an ambassador goes in the name of the country that he's been sent to. And he's there to represent the wishes and the will of the one who sent him. The reason a lot of prayers are unanswered is because they're not prayed in the name of Jesus. See, if I pray in the name, it's just like if Jesus was standing here. I'm not going to pray anything that Jesus don't want. First John chapter 5, you have to figure out the verse. But it says if we ask, this is the confidence that we have. That if we ask anything in his name... According to his will, it says, he what? Hears us. Next verse, and if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. Just the other day, I had a lady, she may be here today, and I don't mean, I, I mean this as a, as a blessing. But the first Sunday I taught on prayer, I had a lady come right, right up here in front after service, and she says, you know, uh, you know I, I'm at a place of real decision in my life, and I'm leaving this certain place, and I have to now go out and start my own life and, and so forth, and, and I need you to pray with me, Pastor. And I said, okay, you know, and she, and she said, she said I, and she told me a couple of times, she said, I, I need a vision. I just need the Lord to show me a vision of what I'm supposed to do. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, I, and even people are pushing me to make a decision. And I've got to make a decision because I've got to move out from where I am. And I've got to know what I'm going to do with my life now. And, 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 I'm just, and I, I need you to pray and, and ask God to give me a vision that he'll just show me clearly what I'm supposed to do so I'll know what his will is. Because I just want to do his will. And I just want to please the Lord. And Brother Dale, I've done everything I know to do. And I've tried to get God to talk to me. And all I know is he'll just give me a vision. And I, can, and, and I, was, I was wore out after she got through telling me all that. I was tired of just listening to the story. I, and my heart was broken for her because that's how a lot of Christians relate to God. And I said, dear sister, first off, you don't need a vision. Don't ever waste time praying for a vision. Number one, it ain't going to work. If you, want, if you need a vision, God will send you one. If you need an angel, God will send you one. If you need a dream, God will give you one. Don't waste time praying for that. First off, that's another message, another time you can find it, and our staff help you find it. But you, most of you have been raised up to seek God to know his will for your life. That's wrong. It's not in the Bible, in the Old or the New Testament. You can't find it one time. Some of you look at me like I just lied to you. It's okay. I'm used to those looks. I'm not saying nobody ever prayed for God's will and what to do. But nobody ever prayed like, God, do you want me to be a king or a baker or a Butler, God, just show me your will for my life. You will not find that in the entirety of the scripture. And most of you think I'm lying by that because you've been raised on that mess. And people drive themselves nuts praying to try to find out what God's perfect will. Some of them have been taught there's a good will of God, an acceptable will. No, the good will is down here on St. Augustine. That's where the good will is. But there's not a good will, a perfect will, an acceptable will, this will, that will. There's just the will of God, Period. God's a good daddy. He loves you. Now, once you become king like David did, David never prayed a prayer, Lord, do you want me to be a shepherd boy or a king? I just pray you'd show me what your will is for my life. 
And then everybody I've ever pastored that prayed those kind of prayers and said, well, I believe, I, you know, God's will is here for me to be, you know, this. Then they go do that, and then they spend the rest of their life doubting that they made the right decision on it. They just live miserable the whole time. It's not in the Bible, y'all. When God wants you to do something, let me tell you something. He'll make it crystal clear to you. He knows what you need to obey him. So if you're a disciple that believes, then by faith you'll just believe. But if you're just an apostle named Thomas and, and, you, and you just you don't get it, and you're like, I'm not believing unless I see nail holes in his hand and stick my finger in, in his pierced side, I ain't believe. What did Jesus come and rebuke and, and you know, I mean, we were doubting uh, Thomas, you know. The church is the only one that ever called him that. Church will call you a lot of names. I mean, Bartimaeus is not blind. The church is still calling him blind Bartimaeus. He's not blind anymore. He's just Bartimaeus. Do you think it says on this birth certificate, blind Bartimaeus? First name's blind. Your first name's not drug addict or addicted or alcoholic. That's what you've done. That's not who you are. Come on, somebody. So Jesus met Thomas for what Thomas needed. So he said, Thomas, here's the nails. Put your hand in. Jesus, gave, well, he'll meet you where you need. He, he wants you to believe. And whatever it takes for you to believe, he'll provide that for you. He's a real good daddy. He's a good daddy. He knows what you need to hear him. There's a scripture that says something like this, that if you'll delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the what? Do you know when I was a young, immature Christian, I read that and thought, God, give me whatever I asked for. So I'd waste a lot of time praying. Well, you said right there in your word that if I delight in you, you'd give me desires in my heart, and I desire, you know, Rolls Royce. You can spend 20 years praying for that Rolls Royce, claiming it and naming it and have pictures of it in your office and have it stuck on your bulletin board and, and use all the kinetics and all the other stuff and, and uh, use Scientology and all that other religion try to make that happen and manifest it, but you're going to waste a lot of time, and in the end you're going to be disappointed. Now, is God against Rolls Royces? No. Does that mean anybody driving one's a demon? No. Okay? But if you, anyway, let me, God loves his kids. So if you just delight in him, I, I'm delighted to be one of his kids. So what God does is he puts in my heart the things that I am to desire. That's what that verse means. And so I waste no time praying for the will of God. I, that lady that I was talking to two Sundays ago, in her conversation, she said, well, I love older people. And I love to, you know, like convalescent home, I love to minister to older people. But I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do that or maybe I'm supposed to do this. And she named several other things. And I let her get through. And again, you may be here, sister, and I mean this in the good. But, but I, I said to her, I listened to what you said. And I told her the scripture I just told you. I said, let me tell you something. Stop praying for a vision. You're not going to get one. Stop wasting time. You're so frustrated. You're burned out. You're just frazzled. You're, you're killing yourself. Just rest. Bless you with God is rest. And I said, what did you tell me you loved? She said, well, I love, you know, convalescent ministry. I said, go do that. She says, is that easy? I said, that's that easy. I said, what God's going to do is he's going to ask your daughter what you want to do. See, some of you want that master slave. You, wanna, you want God to bark out of order, and then you go do it, and you can blame him if it don't turn out right. 
There are people that like it better in prison because somebody's going to tell them when to go to bed and what they're going to eat. You know, they're, they're more comfortable with bondage in there. That's why the children of Israel always want to go back to Egypt. Because when you've got to make your own choices, your own response, you've got to live your own life, it's just you know, it's too hard. No, it's not hard. you just got to trust that you've got a good daddy and you're not an orphan anymore. You're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. And so finding out the will of God is just like this. What do you want to do? How did I know I'm supposed to be pastoring here instead of the church I started and was at for 19 years? How did I know that I was supposed to come here when there was only 70 people here and I was going to leave 300 plus to come preach and pastor 70? How did I know that that's God's will? Did God just make, you know, some of you think like this, whatever you don't want to do, that's what God's going to call you to do. Well, I want to really release myself to the God because he'll send me to Africa to be a missionary. <laughs> hey, if you don't love Africa and love thinking about that, you will, God will never send you. What good would it do to send somebody to Africa that hates Africa and hates everything about being a missionary? I mean, God's not stupid. Do you know I love what I do? I love this. I love it. I love the Word of God. I love the grace of God. I love preaching the Word of God. I'm not serving no prison sentence up here. Well, I got to go to church, really. I got to do this. It's ridiculous. D-E of desire. D-E means of sire. Who sired this colt? Who sired this silly? I mean, knows what I'm talking about. I'm asking what? Who is the father? Biologically with me, sire. Some of y'all need to be more country than y'all are. Y'all don't understand my. <laughs> of the Father is what desire means. So when you just walk with God, he will plant in your heart the things that you are to desire. And so your best answer, like what's the will of God, is what do you want to do? What makes you happy? What do you love doing? Go do it. That's the will of God. What if it ain't? He'll tell you if he don't want you to do it. Christians think it's so easy to miss the will of God. Oh, I just don't want to miss him, Brother Dale. You can't. I mean, you, God makes it hard to miss him. The only way you can miss God is be disobedient. God talked to me for three and a half years about me doing what I'm doing this morning, preaching. My wife married a paramedic, not a preacher. Some days she feels like she got a bum deal, but that's just the way it rolls. But Listen. How did I know I'm supposed to preach? Am I up here doing this because I just decided one day I'd just do this? God called me. He made it so clear. I remember one time, and it's too long a story, but I remember one time one of the last things after about three and a half years of God periodically really dealing with me, talking to me, however you want to call it, I heard the Lord, you, you, whatever. It's, I, I, I used to always get, you ever heard God audibly? Yes, I have. I have, audibly. When God speaks audibly, it ain't like a buddy in the car with you. It's louder than that. And I don't mean by volume. It's hard to explain. But we left one night to go get a sub sandwich. Came back to the little two-bedroom apartment we lived in and pulled up in my little apartment parking spot. And the Lord was just talking to me. Tears were rolling down my face. And I heard him say to me, son, how much evidence will I have to give you before you'll preach my word? And I told him in that parking spot, Father, I'll go. I'll do it. But I wanted to. I just wanted to know it was him. And that falling, I didn't even go in the house and tell my wife. 
First person I told was Carlton Ring, my pastor, on Wednesday night. That following Wednesday, I went and I, after service, I said, Brother Ring, I need to tell you something. I said, I'm called to, to preach the gospel, and I just want you to know I'm, whatever that means and whatever I'm supposed to do from here, I'm, I'm, I'm just know I'm called to preach, and I'm ready to give it up and preach it, man. He said, will you preach next Wednesday night? I said, wait a minute, now, I didn't want to go that quick. <laughs> I thought we had six months to think about it. And really, he, next Wednesday night, I was preaching, you know. And uh, he said, I knew you was called. He said, I just want, was wondering when you was on. You know, I was so afraid, like, tell my wife. And then, so after I told him that night, I went home and I told my wife, you know. I was like, you going to leave me now? <laughs> I'm a preacher, you know. I didn't know what that meant, where we was going, what it was going to look like. I went on a three-day fast. I just felt like I needed to fast for boldness, whatever. So I fasted three days, didn't eat anything, just drank water. On the end of that three-day fast, my grandmother stopped by for something, and I told her, I said, well, me, Mom, I'm called to preach. And she's old Pentecostal. You know, she went to shaking. You know, she come on, shun, die. And, you know, she'd she done her little thing. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just, I'm for that. I'm like, get it, me, Mom. You know, she's, you know, she had that bun, you know. <laughs> and she was like, I know you. I knew you would answer the call sooner or later, son. <laughs> you know, she, and uh, she said, I knew you was called. She said, because her, her, my, her husband that was dead, my granddaddy was a holiness Baptist pastor, you know. So then, it, you know, I, I like, well, she didn't freak out. You know, so I drove over to my dad's house. In those days, he had an office upstairs in insurance business. I went up and told my dad, and he started crying. He said, I knew you'd been called. And I was like, I'm getting tired of this, God. Everywhere I go, everybody said they all knew it before I did. <laughs> and from that day to this, I've never not wanted to do what I'm doing. And I gladly left my chief of Tiff County Emergency Medical Service job to give my whole energies to this. And I'm not certain, I give this up for God. And I'm, you know, man, knock it off. You can't give up nothing for God and God not bless the socks off of you. I mean, he's just, he said, you won't light a candle in my house or close the door without me rewarding you for it. God, if you see a piece of paper and pick it up, God said, I'm going to bless you for that. I saw what you did. Because you got love my house. You care for my people. You... Listen, if, listen, I just want to say this. If there's something in you, some of you this morning, if there's something in you, listen to me now. God always loves you. Ain't nothing you can do to make him love you more or less. We, and we hear that and we go, mm-hmm, but we don't even know it. If, if you ever really get that inside, that change your world. But if something deep inside of you looks forward to not being at church, you look for excuses not to be here, you, you, you don't love picking up that Bible and reading those love letters from him you, you don't long to spend time with him in prayer just hang out with him and worship just be with him it's got nothing to do with God but it's you you're allowing things to affect your heart see sin will not cause God to love you less but when you commit sin and do sin it will cause you to love him less in other words if I'm human and I start coughing and I get a runny nose and my lungs get congested, my body's telling me there's something wrong with me. My body's telling me something. When you get where you just don't love like you did, that's your spiritual body trying to tell you there's something wrong. Our minds so are in desperate need of renewal when it comes to prayer. And how that you know, according to Romans 12, verse 1, 2, and 3, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercy of God, you present your body, and you know, that you be renewed. Transformation comes by the renewing of the mind. 
Okay, but let me ask you like this. If you can understand what I'm saying, and I'm just running out of time here today, but if you can understand what I'm saying, like God don't have to do anything to save your husband. Everything is already provided. Your husband just needs to believe. And if he believes, what will happen to him? He'll what? Receive salvation. When did God actually save him, though? 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's when God paid for it all. Is that right or not? Okay. Now, this is where, if I can get you to agree with that, this is where everybody kind of gets a little, like, bump in the road. But if that's true concerning that Jesus that bore our sin, then it's also true concerning that Jesus who bore our sickness. See, so when you spend time begging God to heal you, you're actually discounting the work of Jesus, maybe not intentionally, but you don't understand what you're saying. And you're not approaching God with faith. You're asking God to do something he's already done. There is no power in praying and asking God to do what he's already done. See? I'm going to have to talk about this more. I can tell this is going to be something we've got to dig in a while. But if you can receive the salvation thing, when did God save you? In other words, I received the Lord like in 1973, but he actually saved me 2,000 years ago. But I became a believer. It's called a believer. When I believed, then what happened to me? I received. But it wasn't that God just decided, well, I'll save the boy today. It wasn't that God's got a calendar on it, you know, and I'm going to save him on this day, on this year. And so we're waiting on God again? No, no. Do, do you agree with that? Do, do you believe that God's already paid? The only contingency there is us. So somebody has to hear the truth. How can they hear without a preacher? How can they believe if they hadn't heard the truth of the gospel? So when they hear, then faith can come alive in his goodness, and they believe what's been, and they receive. So if I can get you to believe that, then I can get you to believe that First Peter 2.24 says, By his stripes you were what? It doesn't say you will be healed. You were healed. Did God just all of a sudden decide, like, I'm going to heal you this Sunday? And you've been sick for six months, but this is your Sunday. I'm going to heal you today. Did God just decide that he's going to say, uh, heal them that day? No. What happened? Their faith reached up and touched God that day, and they received the manifestation of their healing. But God wants them healed the first time there's any glimpse of sickness in their body. Let me say it to you like this. When you're sick as a believer, in other words, how do you think? All right, so when sickness comes, is this how you think? I'm going to give you a couple of choices. Do you think like this? I am sick, and I need to ask God to heal me. So that's one option, okay? Or do you say, I am healed, I am whole, and the devil's trying to make me sick? Now, I would say to you, most of us have grown up saying, I'm sick, now I need to ask God to heal me. So then I petitioned God to do something in regard to my healing. And to be frank with you, most of the time it doesn't produce anything. In other words, how is it that we are so believing in prayer and in God and in his word, and yet our prayers are so futile and actually, just think about your own prayer life. How much has that has been answered? Really? I know all that cliche mess you hear, and you know, all this stuff, Lord never fails, he's always answering prayer. Really? Really? Well, why I got all them counseling appointments about unanswered prayer then? Most Christians, most of their praying avails nothing. I mean, if you got some real dramatic answers to your prayers, like you, had, you prayed for this, and kaboom, there it was. I mean, we, we, I'd like to talk to you. going to get you involved in the intercessory ministry. 
Boy, sure is getting some Facebook looks in here today. Listen, the reason that's a big deal is because now I understand. I didn't for decades, but I understand that Jesus has already healed me, made the provision at least. And so it's not on God's end. I'm not sick because God's got a plan. I'm not sick. That's where you come up with all that crazy myth. God's trying to teach me something. God's trying to learn. Listen, it's ridiculous. God's already wants you here. What's the contingency? Your faith in him and the price that Jesus paid. And as soon as you put your faith in that and you believe that, then you'll receive it. Well, I did that and it didn't work. Or so you're saying it's my fault. Yes, exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> but I understand. Now, I'm going to spend a whole sermon on speaking to your mountain. But when you have a mountain-sized problem, sickness, disease, crisis in your life and mine, it is our tendency to run to God and tell God how big and bad that mountain is and that we need some help up in here now. But those prayers are really mostly useless because we are to speak to the mountain, not to go to God and tell him how big the mountain is because God already knows how big your mountain is. God already knows how big your problem is. So don't waste time trying to inform an uninformed God because God is informed. God is aware. The hairs of your head are numbered. God knows what you're going through, and he knows what hurts you, and he knows what means a lot and big deal to you. So, but what you need to do, and this is another reason our prayers, because we're not doing what God said. We're praying and asking God to do what he said. Now, most of you come, a lot of you probably come from a Pentecostal charismatic background or some experience in, the, in that uh, genre. <laughs> we'll say it that way. Is that, if that is true, what I just said, stick your hand up. Pentecostal charismatic, you have a Pentecostal charismatic type understanding. Some of you are ashamed to admit it, but, you know. But let me say this. Most of you believe in this, that in my name, Jesus said, these signs will follow them that believe, and in my name they shall cast out devils. Now, most of you don't want to do it, and I'm kind of right there with, in the pile with you, but most of you believe that God has given us authority to cast out demons. We don't pray them out. We don't talk them out. We don't counsel them out. We don't negotiate them out. We just cast them out. How do you do that? By faith in the Word of God. Now, what if a person had a demon? And if you have one, I'm not fishing to deal with you. <clears throat> but if you had one, what would, you know, what would it do? Okay, so, so here's a person that, let's say, is manifesting a demon, whatever that means to you. Okay, so here's the person, and this is how I pray for that person. God, I just pray you'd make that demon leave. God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would come and make that demon leave. I pray God ain't going to do that. That person will leave still in bondage, and you're going to be wore out. Because you're asking God in prayer to do what he told you to do. The problem is you don't believe that he'll do it. Now, a lot of you would believe he would do it through me. If, so, if something like that happened, and, and you know, this person manifests, and they just start foaming at the mouth, and I would say to you, how many of you this Sunday morning at Grace Point believe I can cast that devil out? you go, yay, get him, pastor. You cast that demon out, that man. <laughs> Glory to God. Yes, sir. Y'all watch my pastor finna cast this devil out. He's in the serve eviction notice on this devil right here. And if, if I said that, most of you would go, yes, I believe it. And I said, well, if you believe it, then you come up here and cast the devil out. You'll be, <laughs> you'll be looking down at your phone, you know. <laughs> Immediately, things would change. Now, I'm being serious. We're laughing, but I'm being serious. Why would, listen, that's real. Why would that happen? Why, why would you feel that way? Because you know why? Because you think somehow that God uses only people that are worthy to be used. You think, well, I'm a preacher, you know, and I got, that guy's got to pray and fast, and he studies the Bible all the time. I mean, he got to, you know, God likes him. 
Y'all ought, ought to work with that guy. But I, I mean, I was, I was looking at Playboy last night, and I watched a movie that had some, you know, some boobies in it or something. I mean, I mean God ain't going to answer my prayer. I mean, I'm, I'm disqualified, <laughs> you know, from what I... Did he say that, what I thought he said in church on Sunday morning? Can you believe that, Pat? Here we go, Jimmy. You know why? Because, see, you know you better than you know me. But if you knew me, see, you know you're rotten. <laughs> you know you don't deserve to have your prayers answered. You know you ain't prayed like you ought to. You know you ain't read the word. You know you can't even remember. It's been years since you've even fasted one meal. You know God ain't going to answer your prayers. Listen, if you knew me as well as you knew you, you would have no more faith than God answered my prayer and he does your prayer. <laughs> and when you come into the revelation that God's going to move and answer prayers because of his son and ain't got nothing to do with me, then a boldness comes over you because the righteous are as bold as a lion. And I know now what my righteousness is. I used to think that way. Listen, there ain't a person ever, human, on this planet that has ever deserved to get one of their prayers answered. There is not one human that's ever lived a life that has qualified, except his son Jesus, to get their prayers answered. But now he's put me in that person, Jesus Christ, who is the intercessor, and who is my go-between before the Father. And I stand in that name now, and I stand in that righteousness. And so when I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray in the righteousness of Jesus. I pray in the holiness of Jesus. I pray in the power of Jesus. I pray in the perfection of Jesus. I stand in that name. In fact, the devil can't even see me. He thinks it's Jesus praying. Because I'm in Christ. I've been hid with Christ. I'm in him. God's hid me in Jesus. Now, maybe even next Sunday, we'll talk about speaking to the fig tree. But you're going to have to speak to your mountain. And sometimes you speak and it seems like nothing happens. I understand that. That's frustrating. It's heartbreaking sometimes. I don't understand why the Lord won't answer my prayer. Well, my little family's been through a little ringer. That's why Pastor John, our worship leader, not here today. We thank God for, for the mission and all. But, I'm, you know, John, he's been so sick. They've just been sick. And, 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 and just a few weekends ago, right before Christmas, we was in Atlanta, and, and little, little uh, Aiden got sick with this virus, you know. I'm a man of faith. Y'all hear me preach? Glory to God. And I just like, glory to God. I'm not participating. Somebody asked me, you, going, you got your flu shot yet, Brother Dale? <laughs> I ain't trying to knock you. If you go to God, work, work with your faith. What? I said, no, I ain't getting one. No flu getting me. I ain't having it. I'm not participating. It's flu season. Not in my house, it ain't. <laughs> and I, I got to speak life. Proverbs 18. Life and death. And power. No, I ain't. And, and, and so I'm not telling you now because I got one last year. Just so you know. Because the year before that, I got the flu and like that died. I mean, I literally thought, I remember one night I thought, I'm going to die back here in this back bedroom, and Jill's in our comfortable bed, and she ain't all she's going to come in the morning and find a body. That's it. I mean, I'm going to die back here. Because I was so sick, you didn't want to be around her, you know. I literally, I'm, I'm not making that up. I honestly thought, I said, I, I, I am close to death. 
And she ain't even going to, I said, what's going to be so sad? I'm going to die back here, and nobody's going to be in the room with me when I die. That's, I felt like I was that. And so, man, I was like, flu. But, but so we just walk this thing out. I'm not saying that you're less than if you got a flu shot. You just might be wiser. And see, somebody else is listening to me t- tell all this, and I'll have to battle everything I preach. I'll have to see if the check will clear the bank because I'm writing something with my mouth. And so the other weekend, I'm just being honest with you. I don't know how, I'm, I'm about to close, but I just, you know, so we went to Atlanta. We had this trip scheduled for a while. Went to Atlanta uh, that weekend to, with the kids and my grandbabies and all shopping. Like, and, and the lady got sick, you know, and I, I hope you don't get I said, I'm not participating. Got sick as a dog. If dogs get sick, I was sick. I, all I did at the Motel Atlanta just lay in the bed. One night I stood in ward in prayer almost the whole night. I don't mean like I dozed. I mean I'm just sitting up with pillows stacked up. I felt like if I laid down, I'd just throw up. I was just like, and I just was, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes. And at least there was some victory that I didn't throw up. Because I'm the kind of guy, when I throw up, you know, my shoes is coming up out of my nose. My little wife, she just goes, and she's through and she's ready to go on. <laughs> you don't even know she throwed up. She like. And she just goes on cleaning the house or something. When I throw up, I'm coming from Europe. I'm selling Buicks. I mean, I'm coming from way down deep, you know. And, and everybody in the house and the next door neighbors know when Brother Dale's throwing up over there. One time I flew to Zurich on that Bulgaria trip, and we landed in Zurich. And, man, that flight got rough before we landed. And uh, so we landed, and, and I was just like, I just was running to the restroom at the Zurich Airport in Switzerland. And I went in there, and there was men all in there, and stalls there. I run into one of them stalls, closed that door. And, you know, I'm sorry about this, but I, man, I was, I was throwing up, man, loud. Because, I, you know, I, I can't control it. I'm loud. When I came out of that stall after about 15 minutes, you know, pale, green, they wasn't a man in that whole restroom. They wasn't nobody in there. They was all had fled the scene. <laughs> so in Atlanta, I didn't do that. I didn't throw up. And then our little family's been all sick and virus, whatever. And me and you, talking about, we, we, she said, are you rebuking this? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm rebuking this. Because the little, the little granddaughter been sick now. Throwing up. Kristen and John had to carry the merch room by night. All night long, they get home five o'clock in the morning. Then the next two days, we had to keep her because Krista called, and when she was throwing up, sick. In fact, she called me at three o'clock in the morning. How many know three o'clock in the morning calls are not saying how you doing, Pastor? I just want to bless you. <laughs> three o'clock in the morning, phone went off, and she was just crying. Daddy, I need you. And I'm like, what's wrong? You know, I knew her husband John was gone to Chicago on a business trip. You know, like that. And all he did, he'd been around that sick baby. He flew up there, had that dinner that night. He was in the motel in Chicago, just sick as he could be, sick. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the alarm's going off that they don't even use. We're saying, fire, fire, vacate the building, fire, fire, whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> and she says, Daddy, I don't understand. I'm so sick and I've been throwing up and, this, and the alarm's going off and John's out of town. I'll be right there, baby. Because just eight houses down the road. When I stepped out of my house, I could hear the alarm going off, whoop, whoop, whole neighborhood, you know. And she said, she said, I said, I heard it when I cleared the carport, baby. I said, you know, and so she said, I called John. He's in Chicago. He said, just take that fire thing off the wall. So I took it off the wall, and it's still just loud in there screaming, carrying on. 
So then I just pulled it off the wall and pulled the wires out the back of it because I'm strong. <laughs> and I got wires just sticking out with a hole now in the sheetrock, still making noise. <laughs> I'm like, you devil is a lie. I'm going to shut you up one way or the other. And, she, and I said, baby, you're going to have to call your alarm company. They're going to have to tell us something. And she said, daddy, I'm sick. She said, get the alarm company. Called them. They said, well, you got to disconnect the battery source in the control panel. So I did that. Didn't make a bit of difference. That devil standing there. Oh, whoop, vacate. Fire. Fire. And so I'm standing on her washer machine. That's where it happened to be. Brother got some weight on me now. I wasn't on the lid. The lid was up. But I bent the thing, and now that, that ain't working good. <laughs> she said, the man said that if the battery thing ain't working, to connect the left wire and the panel, undo that. So I did that, finally stopped. So I said, go back to bed, darling. And uh, so I went back to bed, and then next morning she called us crying. Because she's like me, she's a wimp when she gets sick. I admit it, Jill. And she was crying. She said, Daddy, I need you to pray for me. At least she does think I can pray. She said, come pray for me. So I came down there. You know, and part of me don't want to go into the environment where everybody's throwing up and all that. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm about to close, but I'm being honest. Anybody feel that? I just want to kind of put on a, you know, a hazmat suit, you know. <laughs> breathe my own oxygen and go in. I'm coming to pray for you. <laughs> Man of faith. No, but I, this, is, this is before the Lord. As I stood there at the doorstep to open the door, and I feel like I'm going into a hazardous environment. You know, everybody's been throwing up in there. But I just stood there at the door. Now, I'm not playing no games with you, and I'm learning just like the rest of you. I'm not a perfect guy, and I ain't got it all figured out. But I stood there at that door, and I said, and I said out loud that my own ears could hear it. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this room and in, in this house. And I said, sickness and authority has no right over me and over my life and over my family. And I said, by your stripes, I was healed. And I opened my door and stepped in. <laughs> and I went in there, and she was laying there, you know, and I laid my hands on her. And I said, now this is what I prayed. And she, she may even listen to this message, but I said, Father, I thank you that you have provided everything that we would ever need. And before this day ever came and this moment ever arrived, you knew that we would need you, and you knew that we would need healing. And I thank you that that's fully been paid for not by anything that she would do or I've done, but by the blood of Jesus Christ and by his stripes, we were healed. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I command this sickness to come out of the body of my daughter. I command the aching to leave her body. I command the joint pain to leave her body. I command the nausea to be arrested and the vomiting stop now in the name of Jesus. And I just said all those things in faith, in prayer. Now, I know you want to hear me say that as soon as I got through, she jumped up and cooked a 10-course meal and was speaking in tongues. But as soon as I prayed, because she said, I'm aching, Daddy, I'm hurting all over. As soon as I prayed, I said, is the pain gone? And I noticed how she'd done like a lot of stuff. She had to evaluate herself. She said, she said I, I feel like the, the, the pain's gone. I said, praise the Lord. Praise God. And I said, now what you want to eat? And I said, Mama's going to do this, and you feel like you could eat that? No, I don't feel like I eat that. I said, how about some good old chicken noodle and some saltine crackers? How about that? She said, I could do that. I'll be right back.
Go to nut spiritual there. Go to the house, get a can of chicken noodle and some pack of saltine and a jug of Gatorade. And Daddy put it in the cup and heated it in the microwave and helped her out of her bed to the couch and fixed it all right there and said, now eat this. And she was just crying. Because yet that day, uh, yesterday was her birthday. And uh, we spoke to have a big party today for the grandbaby because the day before her birthday is my granddaughter's birthday, one year old. And she said, Daddy, I don't understand all this happening. I said, it's just life. We can't figure out all this stuff, but it don't mean I love what Pastor Martin shared. You think I'm going to take the colors off because they lost one game? Have y'all read Alabama's record? I'm not trying to. I'm just saying, though, have you seen God's record? Have you seen his goodness? You think just because something don't go like I want it to go one time, I'm going to quit reading my Bible, stop going to church, stop tithing, stop doing the things of God? You think because I go through some financial trouble, I'm going to say it don't work, I'm going to just start keeping my tithe and try to work this out on my own? Don't take no faith to do that. This takes dumbness. I can't afford to do this. I can't afford not to. It's just just for how you look at it. I've told people, I said, I might go under. I might lose everything I got, but I'll do it while I'm tithing. And I told my wife, I said, I might die of sickness, and I might die of this, and I might die of that. And I said, but I'll do it while I'm believing God that by his stripes I was healed. I said, don't be feeling sorry for me. You just tell the man, that's what he died saying that. He died in the faith. Somebody called one of our sisters. She's here this morning. She called my wife, and she said, I've been so concerned. She said, this lady, you know, said, said that, uh, that she was told in a prayer group or some kind of Bible study that Pastor Dale had cancer. And she said, I told her, ain't no way. That's right. I know. Ain't no way. She said, tell that, call that woman back and tell her he ain't got no cancer. He's fine and healthy. So I'm just saying, if y'all hear that circulating through, Valdosta, the devil is a lie. You hear what I'm saying? But it don't matter what the disease is or what it is. There's a name that's above every name, and that's the name of Jesus. And, and listen, stand with me. As we endeavor to learn what grace has provided in prayer, one of the main reasons for unanswered prayer, listen, is we don't exercise our dominion, our authority. And let me say this about what I said. I used to say, I'm sick, and I'm going to ask God to heal me. But now when I get attacked... And that's what I call it, with sickness. It ain't from God. He ain't trying to teach me nothing. But there, it is normal for me to be healthy. Most of my days I'm healthy. And very few days I'm not healthy. And so when unhealth comes, sickness comes, disease comes, problems come, then I know that there, that is not from my Father. And so now I say, I am healed. I am, by his stripes I'm healed. And the devil's now trying to make me sick. Now listen. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, stand. Stand. Now listen to me. Don't, please don't miss this. This is a revelation to me. may not be to you. But you don't, notice it don't say advance. Because there's nothing to advance. You're not trying to take ground from the enemy. You're only standing because you're standing in and on the victory of Jesus. You, listen, you're not fighting for victory. I've told you you're fighting from a position of victory. Now, I am fighting a fight to stay in faith. I'm fighting the good fight of faith to stay in the faith and the confidence of God's goodness. But listen, but I am standing on victory. I'm not fighting for it. So that's why I'm just going to stand. I don't have to advance. I don't have to take a step forward. I just have to stand on what Jesus has done. So what I'm going to stand on is the word of God. And I'm going to do like Jesus when the devil attacks. I'm going to say, it 
is written. Now, my circumstances may not look like that, but I'm not going to deny my circumstances. I'm just denying they're right that that's all there is. I might be broke. I might not have food. I might not have whatever. Yeah, that's real. I can see that. But there's something more real than that that you can't see, and that is his word. And by his stripes, I was healed. And so I'm going to stand on the word. I found out when I got diagnosed last year with summer with some heart situations that really they were trying to do home heart surgery on me before Christmas. They were talking death and all kinds of stuff. My wife tell you, I mean, it, it wasn't good. And I know doctors going to give you worst case scenario, and that's their job because they don't want you to get sued. Okay? And I love doctors, and I'm not against them, and I'm not against medicine by no means. But listen, I found out after that first diagnosis come, people, I would tell people. I said, well, doctor says I got this, and doctor says this, and doctor says that, and this is what the report says, and this is what the echocardiogram says, and this is what this is. This is the problem. And, and, and I'm not, you may think I'm a nut, but I would tell people that, and all of a sudden my heart would just go stupid. I could feel it. I would be irregular, all kind of mess going on, and I could just feel it coming on me. And that happened to me two or three times when just friends and family would ask me about it, and I would tell them the story. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop telling people what the doctor said. And so I just stopped doing that. My wife would tell you, I went through a month or so there last summer, July, August, summer. You don't even know what I was going through. I went through a month or two. My staff did. My elders did. But I went through a month or two where, I mean, a couple times I wasn't sure. We need to call 911 here. But I had to do what I'm teaching you to do. And so now if any kind of thing, you know, any kind of thing comes, by his stripes I'm healed. You know, I don't talk about it. I, I, don't, I don't acknowledge it. You, you, you know, you got to do what you, I don't have no heart problems. Now, what if you go back and it shows this? I don't care what that shows. I'm going to tell you what this shows. Because that, that ain't me. That's a machine. This is me. Okay? I'm not saying you should ignore and be a spirit of stupid on you. Okay? Now, if you got a stick in your arm, they say, we need to take that stick out. Don't say, well, I ain't got a stick in my arm. Well, it's about three foot long. It's sticking through one side and out the other. Hallelujah. You know, I'm, you understand what I'm saying. But you have to know where you're going to stand and on the word of God. That's prayer. So when I have those mountains, and they're really big sometimes, those mountains scare me. And if I'm not careful, I find myself telling God how big it is like he don't know it, and trying to get him to do something. And God's looking at me like I told you to do it. I told you to cast out the devil. I told you to heal the sick. I told you to raise the dead. I told you to cast out devils. I told you freely you've received, now freely release, freely give. I told you to do these things. Do you believe I told you to do something that I wasn't going to empower you to do? So what do you do? You speak to that fig tree. You speak to that mountain. Well, what if I speak and it doesn't happen? Then I'm going to speak again. Jesus prayed for a man one time and he got, was blind. When he got through, Jesus said, how do you see now? He said, I see men as trees. Apparently, Jesus didn't think that was good enough because he said, we're going to pray one more again. And Jesus prayed for him a second time. Is that in the book? People hate that that's in the Bible. I'm glad it's in there. So if Jesus had to pray twice for one man, and then he said, ask him a second time, how do you see now? He said, I see all men like I should see them. Jesus said, okay, man, have a nice day. So if Jesus prayed twice for one man, then why am I going to freak if I have to pray twice or or 20 times? I'm going to stand and make declarations. I'm going to decree. Listen to me, last statement. We are here to enforce the victory 
that has already been won at the cross by Jesus Christ. So what our prayer does, what my prophecy does, what my declaration does, is I'm standing as an ambassador from heaven, and I am here to enforce the price. And that devil is resisting. He tries to trespass. He tries to confuse, do all those things. There, there's a lot of factors involved here. But this healing is a big, big thing. But I believe that we're in a great, God began to deal with me in the last couple of days. Listen, I believe that I, I believe the Lord has put in my heart that we, whether we realize or not, we are, in a, uh, we are in another great awakening. I asked God, I said, what would they, I've always heard about the great awakening in the 17th century, or 18th century rather, during the 1700s, around 1730. George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, and these great ministers, and there was a great awakening that touched America and England and Great Britain. You know that I, I should know this, but I, I said, what did they awaken to? And I spent uh, several uh, hours on the uh, Google just studying about and reading about the great awakening. You know what, the great awakening, I, I want to preach a message about it. But it, what, what, what did they awaken to, I said, God? What did they awaken to? They, was, they call it the first and great awakening. And then they call it the second great awakening. The first great awakening was for the church, the, those that were already saved. And what were they awakened to? They were awakened to what you're being awakened to, the goodness of God, their revelation of God, and how they saw God was the first thing that they awoke to, that God is different than what we've been told. And the, then they, they, they saw that they themselves were different now because they see him different, and then how they saw others. That's the, Wikipedia told me that. Wikipedia said that. And you know what another result of the Great Awakening was? Racial reconciliation. And black and white in America, for the first time, began to, 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 to worship together. Never had happened before. Started worshiping together. And once that first Great Awakening happened in 1730, 1450, then there was a second Great Awakening. And what happened then is it said the church turned to the sinners and turned to the, those outside the, the church. Because why? The church now was empowered with the revelation of the goodness of God to go out and do something about it. Instead of sit back and just let the devil have his way. Amen. Now I believe this with all my heart. I believe God put in my heart. He said, son, you and many like you are in the forefront of a great awakening. And the church is awakening to my goodness and to my grace. And, and then the results of this are manifesting with healings and all these things that come because we're waking up. We're, we're, we're not, if you awake, it don't mean you're dead. If you awake, you were alive. You just was asleep and not realizing what was available. The church is awakening to the grace of God, to the goodness of God. And we, listen, we are awakening to what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And when the church fully awakens out of her slumber and her sleep and her dullness and the scales fall from her eyes, and she realizes what her Messiah really accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, when we start walking in the confidence of that revelation, we don't need revival. We need revelation. I'm not against revival. If people are dead, then let's revive them, okay? If they're not a Christian, let's revive them. But the church, those that are born again, don't need revival because they're not dead. They need awakening because they've been asleep. They've been asleep to what Jesus accomplished. Amen? Ministry team, come quickly. I'm going to release the church. Man, I'm excited about prayer, aren't you?